Good morning and happy Boxing Day. Come on, it's Boxing Day, America. Uh, welcome to the Tabernacle. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to specifically welcome those that are with us in Manistee and listening online. We're glad that you're here. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. And uh, I hope you had the opportunity to join us on Christmas Eve. Uh, we had three services here in uh, Buckley. We had two services in Manistee. And just at our live services, not counting those uh, uh, that were watching online, which by the way, it was streamed online, all of it, including the music at all the times. Wasn't that cool, right? But uh, between our two campuses on Christmas Eve, I was encouraged because uh, we estimate we had a thousand people at all of our services together. And that's like pre-COVID. Come on. That was pretty cool. People are coming out of their caves or refugee camps or wherever they've been hanging out. But uh, uh, specifically, I want to say thank you uh, to all of those who served that gave up their Christmas Eve. Uh, that was a big, big ask. Not just those that were in the band and the production teams, but uh, uh, those that were watching children and uh, helping people cross the street and cafe and making food. I mean, it's a big deal. We need to thank them because I think sometimes we take it for granted that church will just be open and it'll be excellent. So can we do that? Can we thank those people too? That should be a louder one. Yeah, okay. Well done. Cool. That was cool. And uh, for me personally, um, I, uh, you know, I've heard Christmas music for 51 years. Um, but I missed all of the rehearsal because I was doing something else. I was here for my sound check, but, you know, and I kind of knew what the set list was. But there was a moment at both campuses, I know, where our bands were leading us in, Oh, come let us adore him, right? And I've sung that a thousand times, Oh, come let, right? Remember that? They were singing that. But then something happened. Our own David Hoflinger, who leads worship at Manistee, uh, uh, arranged the, the piece to all of a sudden, the guitar players did that little thing, and we were doing the mountain shake before you. You guys with me? I'm on air guitar until you remember. And all of a sudden, it was the great I am. You know, you know. And right over here in T2, I was right up against the wall waiting for my cue, and I became a puddle of uh, John Vermilia. I was a puddle. I was mush. I was destroyed. I was a puddle. Because I was used to, oh, come let us adore him. But when you mash that together, David, good job. And if you don't believe me, when this service is over or whenever you're in T2, there's a stain on the carpet right over there. And you'll see. That's, that's right where it happened. That's right where it happened. So I uh, appreciate those guys. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to give you a couple other things. If you're um, with us live or online, I hope you'll stay with us for a while. And to get the most out of the services, you really want to pick up the Son of God reading plan. Uh, they're available at the Hub, or you can also check them out online. Uh, don't, don't go to our webpage right now. It uh, got crashed. Uh, some demonic elves took it out. Um, that's okay. We're going to rebuild it better. Uh, but you can go on social media and pick up those or pick up a hard copy. Um, and if you'll read along with us, remember, we're not going to cover every bit of Luke between now and Easter. We're wanting to try something different. We want to leave some parts for you to, for your own study, for your own reading, or you can uh, listen in on our podcast where we're covering the stuff that we don't cover throughout the sequence. So the podcast, you can get the app or you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or a bunch of places that Britain told me to mention that I can't remember. <laughs> I just know where I hear it and I'm usually in the room. So um, with that being said, Luke chapter two, we pick up the story of Jesus' life after his birth 
And where the writer of Luke goes, it's right after his birth. It says eight days later, he went up to Jerusalem to fulfill all the law where he was circumcised, where he was presented and dedicated at the tabernacle or at the temple. And, and there's a prophetess, Anna, that was there and she prophesies over, over him. There's all these miraculous events. Now, there's one thing that Luke leaves out that I think is, that is important for us to mention is that it, it wasn't just, well, they went to Bethlehem and then they went up to Jerusalem and they went home. We don't quite understand all the details of Jesus' early life, except they'd gone to Bethlehem and then they went up to Jerusalem and then somehow they're back in Bethlehem for whatever reason. Now it could be, and this is my own theory and we're not going to, it's not a main thing. So we're not going to get lost in these details, but I think one of the reasons they were staying in Bethlehem is because people haven't changed in 2000 years and the whisper campaign had already started up in Nazareth. People are already starting to count months and they were married and then they're not. And now there's a baby and he doesn't look pretty much. I think that something had to do with that. Just my theory, because we also know that as recorded in the other gospels, specifically Matthew, that after Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus return to Bethlehem, they're visited by an angel again. And this time it's to Joseph, the head of the household in a dream. And he says, take the mother and the child and run and run. Now, sometimes after shepherds, after presentation, after the Magi bringing gifts, Then he says, run. And the reason is Herod has gotten word and Herod has ordered the slaughter of all the male children below the age of one years old in Bethlehem. Merry Christmas. You see, make no mistake that Jesus wasn't just an innocent babe in a manger. This was war. This was war and the enemy wasn't having it and was going to no end. I mean, there was no end to how far he would go to try to stomp it out. So then Luke picks up the story, verse 39, chapter two, it says, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of, of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. So in those couple verses, the author of Luke is like going from birth to he grew up and his whole life, the favor of God was on him. And just like any other boy or girl that was born a baby, the child grew. And that's not a whole lot of intentionality to that. You eat, you sleep, and you grow. It's the way the human body is made. And so there's some that like to try to fill in gaps. And I just, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but maybe you came from a Christian tradition that maybe had some added extra books. What I'm Speaking of specifically is maybe you've read the Apocrypha, right? And you're like, there's some little added tidbits about Jesus' early life. Is it true or not is what I get asked. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that the inspired word of God, the canon is this. And if you've fully exhausted this, then have fun with all the extracurricular Apocrypha stuff, which is not in the canon, right? Did that make sense? We love to look for all the extras, all the secrets that nobody else knows about. We haven't mastered this yet. And for whatever reason, God decided, "Eh, there's a whole lot of those details you don't need to know, except for this story that comes next. And I'm excited because this is the first time I've ever preached on this. So here we go. Y'all ate too much Christmas pudding yesterday. I'm just going to tell you. 
Hopefully they're more awake in Manistee. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is God's word. And God in his sovereignty decided that we needed to know about this story. And what I've decided to entitle this story, which is a very human story, by the way. It's a very human story. There's like no miracles. There's no profound teaching. It's just this is something that happened. Is the title of this message is you had one job. You're not tracking with me, right? There's been 400 years of silence. We've been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah. Finally, an angel appears to a virgin and says, I got a job for you. And the job is you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. Oh, but I'm a virgin. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and let it be as the Lord has said. She did a good job and she took that responsibility. Joseph, who by the way, doesn't get enough credit. Joseph was called in church history, Joseph the just. Because it says in Matthew, when the virgin was found to be with child, Joseph being a just man was going to divorce her quietly. Why? Because he didn't want to put her to public shame. Even though according to the Old Testament law, she could be stoned to death. Right? Because she's not married and there's a child. And who's going to believe an angel and the Holy Spirit, right? But Joseph, being a just man, the angel appears to him and says, don't worry. Don't be afraid to take the woman and raise the child. And you'll give him the name Jesus, right? And say, oh, yeah, Joseph. So he takes the responsibility. Mother, you had one job and you lost the Messiah. You're not tracking with me yet. Parents, this passage gives us hope. Come on. It says that, you know, they're righteous people. They're fulfilling all the parts of the law and they're being good parents. They're taking him to church. They're taking him to the Passover feast. They're going to Jerusalem. It's a big group. It's a couple days journey. They get there. It's been an eight day festival. And it says on the way back, a whole day on the way back, they realize they've lost the son of God. You had one job. You had one job. You're not with me yet. Okay, so, so personal story. Whenever our family goes to our favorite vacation spot, Port St. Joe, Florida, we're driving through town, I always have to be remembered whenever, or, or, or uh, reminded by the whole family, by the way, 
that there was, I mean, there's this one cafe, it's changed names a bunch of times, but years ago, I can't remember how old she was, but, but we had all the kids and we're all there and, and we're eating, I think it was breakfast or brunch or lunch or whatever we're eating on vacation. And, and then the wife decides, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to take half the crew that wants, that's done eating and wants to shop and you sit here and finish all the scraps and then you guys come on over and meet us. And that was the plan. And she says that she told me that I had, I don't know, three, right? The three youngest. I don't remember that. I just remember French fries. <laughs> but apparently it came, you know, the check and we did the thing and the tip. And I'm like, everybody ready? Everybody's ready. And we go. Meanwhile, middle child, who's now scarred for life and will be in therapy because of it, is left behind in the restroom. And we get over to the other place. Hey, and my wife was meeting me in the parking lot. Did you forget something? She'd already gotten the phone call from the dude. Did you forget something? Right? Apparently. We didn't lose her. I lost her. Sorry, Sophie. Again. But it's been like a day's journey. It's a day's journey, right? So uh, they're on foot or maybe with some animals, carts, we're not sure. But they're in a big group because it's dangerous between Jerusalem and Nazareth. And they're on the way back. And and as I was talking with my youngest daughter this morning, she was like, yeah, you know, at one point, Joseph was like, Mary, where's Jesus? And I corrected her. I said, 100%, that's not how it went down. <laughs> it was Mary that came to Joseph. You have Jesus, right? It's always the dude. Men, don't leave me hanging here alone. You know it's true. Mary comes to Joseph in my mind's eye. It's like, uh, where's Jesus? I thought he was with his crazy cousin, John the Baptist. He's not a Baptist yet, but go with me there. I thought he was hanging out with him. No, we're in a big group. There's no Jesus. They look all throughout the party. There's nothing. It's been a day's journey. So because it's dangerous, they spend the night and then it's a day's journey back. Can you imagine the distress? Have you ever lost your kid? The son of God. <laughs> you had one job. They get back to Jerusalem on the second night, and then the next morning is when we believe they found him in the temple. And when they find him, he's sitting among the teachers. Now, I don't know what tradition you were raised in, but some people mistakenly start thinking that Jesus sitting among the teachers is even at 12, he's teaching those mean rabbi. No, it's, that's different. You see, it was common practice for the rabbis and the students, the rabbis and the disciples to sit together. And the preferred teaching method was question and answer. Jesus is sitting at the feet of rabbis learning. And he's participating at age 12 in the Q&A. They're amazed at the questions he asks them. They're amazed at the answers he gives to their questions. You're not tracking with me yet. The son of God in flesh, preteen, is submitting to humans, teaching him about him. Anybody got a headache yet? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. This sermon is about submission. Submission. 
And there's this picture of Jesus in submission to earthly religious authority engaged in learning. But it's not just that. When, when Mary comes to him, and, and this is any mom, this, this could be my mom's voice, right? Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And make no mistake, Jesus' response isn't a smart-alecky teenager response. It's not. It's matter-of-fact, and it's direct, and it's true. And he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He's saying, well, well, mom, where where do you think I would be? This is a 12-year-old son of God that is submitting to God the Father, to this authority, and to his mission. He already knows why he's here. It's a beautiful picture of submission. Verse 50, it says, they did not understand the, the saying that he spoke to them. What, wait, wait, what? What do you mean, why wouldn't we think, you know? And I love 51. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now, I can't get over that. 12-year-old, preteen, God in flesh submits to an imperfect mother and an imperfect father. But that's what happened. It says he was submissive to them. I mean, I mean it was a big deal. We, we, we honor Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine being Joseph? Yeah, don't be afraid to take this woman, even though people are going to say stuff about your name and your reputation. And he's not, I mean, you're going to have other kids. Don't worry, but this is the one, this is the Messiah. And you're the one that's going to hold his little hand right? You're the one that is going to teach him how to drive a nail. You're going to be the one that's going to teach him, hey, we're boys, we get to pee outside. You're not, is that too irreverent? It's just real stuff, real man stuff. Sorry, ladies, but I mean, you can too, but that's a little awkward. Uh, he's imperfect. And Mary's imperfect. You see her distress here. She's exasperated. She's exasperated. And yet it says, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus is modeling even at 12 years old submission. Now we hate the word submission. We hate it. First of all, because we're humans. Second of all, because we're Americans. But I'm going to tell you something. This might be the most important message of 2021 and the best message to set all of us, myself included, up for 2022. I believe submission is what's holding many of us back. I believe submission is the reason that everyone who one day will spend eternity in hell is the reason that they will be there is because they struggle with submission. And I believe submission is the reason many of us are stuck in our Christian journey or stuck in our marriage or stuck in our relationship. We're just stuck. And the reason is we're hung up on submission and we're hung up because we're humans and we're sinful and we're hung up because we're Americans. So let me start with the words of Spurgeon, right? Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. This is what he wrote about submission. He says, a lack of submission is no new or rare fault in mankind. 
Ever since the fall, it has been the root of all sin. From the moment when our mother Eve stretched out her hand to pluck the forbidden fruit and her husband joined her in setting up the human will against the divine, the sons of men have universally been guilty of a lack of conformity to the will of God. They choose their own way and will not submit their wills. They think their own thoughts and will not submit their understanding. They love earthly things and will not submit their affection. Man wants to be his own law and his own master. Submission. Submission. What does submission mean? Essentially, I could give you a bunch of different definitions. The reason that we hate submission is because we think it's about weakness. And Americans, we don't want to show any weakness. This country was birthed in rebellion. Oh no, it was a revolution. Ah, trust me. It was a rebellion. We're rebels from the beginning. God bless America. That's where we were birthed. That's why many of us moved to northern Michigan. Want to get away from... That's why many of you dream of going to Idaho or Alaska. Why? Because you don't want to submit to no man. They don't know I'm there. I can build a bunker and I can be on my own. Where does that come from? Well, is it the American spirit? You betcha. Rebels. Rebels. Opposite of community and relationship and accountability. And we get this beautiful picture. I mean, if I could, if I could define submission in one word, it's to yield It's to yield. Yes, you have strength. Yes, you have a will. Yes, you have options. But when you yield to another, when you put someone else first, it's what you're supposed to do with those little circle things two times on the way to Traverse City. You're supposed to yield. Doesn't mean you're supposed to stop. Public service announcement. Make a preacher lose his religion, have to get saved again. No, that's not real. Doesn't mean stop, but it means you're supposed to yield. So if I could put submission in one word, it's, it's to yield. And we see Jesus yielding, right, to God. I'm here at the temple to learn. Yielding to these rabbis, to these imperfect, sinful rabbis. I wonder if, you know, 18 years later, these were some of the ones he had to argue with and set straight. But he yielded to them as a 12-year-old to learn. It says that he yielded to his mission. Where do you think I'd be? In my father's house. About my father's business, he'll say later. He yielded to his parents. And because of that, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He doesn't yield. He doesn't grow. So submission is this word yield. And if I could give you a picture of submission, it's this. And this is why it holds us back. Now this is awkward, isn't it? But this is the posture before God, before his word, before his spiritual authority, before one another. 
And many of us will stay stuck because we kneel to no one. And we wonder why. Submission, it will make or break you. Submission will make or break you. Learn to submit and you will grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Do it not and it will break you. It will break you. Submission towards whom? Well, first of all, to God. I'm going to take you through just a bunch of different places in the Bible where it tells Christians where to submit. And if you're taking notes, you can write them down. You can also do a little Google search or go to Bible Gateway or gotquestions.org and have fun with this because I haven't covered them all. But here's some key ones. One is in James chapter four, it says that we're supposed to submit ourselves to God. You submit first to God. If you cannot submit to God, you cannot have a relationship with God. Well, why? That sounds kind of one-sided. It is because he's a God and you're not. And as Pastor Tim has famously said, and that's been our primary concern since the Garden of Eden, that he is God and we're not. But if you can't submit to God, you can never come to God. You have to bow the knee to God, the one true God. So it says in James 4, submit yourself to God. If you resist the devil, then he will flee from you. So it starts by submitting to God. And that's the beginning of your transformation. I was just talking to a friend this morning who who has made church attendance a priority over this last year. And I was saying, hey, I see you, and I, and I know that there's been some changes, and this is a good job, and, and, and you're just starting out, but if you keep doing this, it's like Chinese water torture, right? If you keep prioritizing this, this hour on a weekend and any other time you can to God, you might not get it all at the same time, but as you continue to submit to worship to God, it's going to have a change. You know what she said to me? I know, it's already started. Submit to God is transformational. If you don't submit to God, it becomes a barrier becomes a barrier. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said that we're we're to submit to him. That'll either make you or break you. Jesus' words, not mine, he said it in more than one place, not just Matthew, but he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's submission, submission, submission. Have you ever followed someone anywhere? Independent Northern Michigan person? Have you ever had to go to Macy's and go, um, excuse me, where's the shoe department? And some bubblegum chewing teenagers like, follow me. <laughs> Sorry, Macy's doesn't hire teenagers. I should know that, right? That's submission. You're going to follow them through the place to the shoe department. Where's the secret hunting spot? Here, get in your Jeep. You follow my Jeep. We're going to go down the two tracks. At any time, you can say, this is stupid. Stop and turn around. But no, you're no longer submitting. You're not going to find the secret hunt spot. Submission. Jesus said, if you would come after me, if you're going to follow me, this is what it requires. When we submit to Jesus, we do things like him. We care about the things that he cares about. We hate the things that he hates. We do it the way he says to do it. And that submission will make or break you. Many of us wonder, you know, if this God thing is real, if this Christianity thing is true. And it all is. It's just we haven't, we're not done with this submission thing yet. We're breaking ourselves and wondering, why doesn't she listen? Why don't they listen? Why do I hurt? Why is there this pain? Why is this so hard? 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that we're, oh, you're going to love this one. We're supposed to submit to all earthly authorities. Why did it get quiet in Buckley? <laughs> Manistee, I hope you're listening. We're supposed to submit to the government authorities. You can vote them out. But while they're there, guess what? Scripture also says, and all Christians hate this one, all earthly authority is ordained by God. You don't get to be a king or a dog catcher without God's allowing it. Oh, that's hard to stomach. And because for the order of human beings in a wicked and fallen world, we're supposed to submit to earthly authorities. Ephesians chapter six says, slaves, you're supposed to submit to your master. That means your boss at work. To those you're indebted to, to the foreman on the job site, to the person in charge, to the principal. Here's a tough one. First Peter three says the Christian woman is to submit to her husband. It's not popular. I'm supposed to kind of put candy on that somehow or a little bit of sugar, make that pill go down a little bit better. It's not what it says. I've tried every which way around it. The wives should submit to their husbands. Oh, but just in time, he also said in Ephesians 5 that spouses are supposed to submit to each other. You didn't see that one coming, did you either? It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Was that a contradiction? No. It means that any smart man and smart woman that want to make a marriage work have to learn to submit to one another. And if there's a tie, he better break the tie and he better be smart about it. Now, there's some dudes that's like, no, that's not what it says. It says she submits to me all the time. You're a fool. I've lost track of the ways that I've submitted to my wife, to her needs, to her fears, to her anxieties, to her dreams. To make a marriage work, you have to submit to one another. And she'll be the first one to tell you, you know what, there's times when it's a tie. And I'll tell you, more than once, she said, well, I think we should do this. And I'm like, well, I think we should do this. And she goes, well, looks like you get to make the call. And when she walks away and leaves me with that decision, it's the most frightening moment of my life. (laughs) She's smarter than I am. It also says in Ephesians 5, Christians, we're supposed to submit to one another. You know, the number one reason churches have fights and don't get along and they argue and we have church hurt is because people don't know how to submit to one another. We're supposed to yield to one another. Well, it's about my needs and my preferences and what I like and I was cold or I'm hot or I like communion this way or I like that preacher, I like this. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Parents, you'll love this one in Exodus 20. We learned that children are supposed to submit to their parents. Can I get an amen? I didn't hear you. All right. First Peter 5, we learn that all of us are supposed to submit to our elders in the faith. They've been around a minute. You should probably listen. You should probably listen. You know, not everybody has my phone number, and that's on purpose. It's not because I don't like you. It's because that's a lot of phone calls and a lot of invitations to coffee that I just don't have time for. 
Not because I don't have time for you. I love you. There's a lot of us, and that's not the way we're set up. There's got a lot of pastors, a lot of mutual yielding that gets to go on. But you know what? There's some elders in this church that were here before I got here who were part of building this place, that they have my number. When they call, they get a response. You know why? Because I need to submit to my elders. Because they've been around a minute. They know the history. We're supposed to submit to our elders. We don't want to be the church that says, you know what? Silver hairs, they don't get it. Kick No. They built this place. And you know what? They understand that you're supposed to tithe. You don't get that, do you? When you're in your 20s, you're like, oh, I missed that day. (laughs) When you're in your 80s, you won't miss that day. Because they've learned about submission. You with me? And lastly, and I I made a promise to God that I was going to read this out loud and not chicken out. I got to read it to you. I'm going to read you one from Hebrews 13. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to be as hard for you to hear as it is for me to read. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, two Christians within the church, both campuses and online, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. I didn't write that. There's a verse. That apparently we're supposed to submit to the spiritual leadership within our church. But submission will make us or break us. Do you know how many people will never submit to a church, will never submit to God, never submit fully to his word, never submit to any human accountability, never submit to membership, I can't be bothered, I don't like to be involved in politics, or whatever, blah, blah, you know, reason that we have. And all it is, is this fact that submission will make or break you. And here's a verse that says, I need you to, because I... I'm part of this team that's watching over your souls. And apparently I have to give an account. Talk about not fair. Well, yeah, he didn't come to fight club. Well, I invited him 15 times. This is me giving an account. Well, where's the man's pants? I I don't know where his pants are. Like I said, I couldn't get him to fight club. Only came to church Christmas and Eastern when his wife was really ticked. But I've got to give an account. You tell me what it means. What about those people's attitudes? Ah, We tried, preached our face off. We even tried silly Grinch videos to get them to laugh or lighten up a little bit. We could go on and on. Why is that guy getting drunk at the fair and put it on Facebook? I don't know. Told him about that every year. It says to make their job easy and not with groaning. I'm going to frame that, put it in my office. There's a lot of submission required of us as followers, but it's not weakness, Christians. It's not weakness. It's yielding and it's the way of Jesus. In fact, if I could boil down, you know, we, we have these, and we try to keep it simple and, and this following Jesus thing. And, and Jesus said that the great commandment was to love God and love people. To love God with everything you have, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. So that's why we say love God and love people. 
Our mission is to make disciples, yes. To make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything that Christ is teaching us and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of that is going to change lives, mine and theirs. That's our mission statement, our vision statement. I think it's the mission and vision of every Christian. But if I could dial it down to the one little Jenga piece that is missing. It's either holding us back or it'll be the thing that springboards us forward is this. You have one job, submission. I have one job, submission. Jesus modeled submission. He submitted to God, to his mission, to his word, to the rabbis, to his parents, all the way to the cross, Jesus submitted. And as he submitted and grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, we get to this beautiful passage in Philippians, and we've quoted it more than once. It says to you and I, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus didn't hang on to the fact that he was equal to God because he was God. We're concerned with the fact that we're not God. Jesus set it aside. Why can't I? Why can't you? Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus submitted all the way to the cross, and we're to follow his lead. You have one job. 2022, you have one job. In your marriage, both ways, Learn a little submission, it could change it. You're struggling with your parents, your kids still living in their house. You have one job, submission. You don't want to go to church, I don't care. Your dad pays the bills, he says you're going. That's the way it is, period. Is that fair? Is that mean? I don't want to alienate them. That's why we work out, so we can whip our kids when we're old. It's submission. It's submission. Trouble at work. Why don't you just try doing it the boss's way? You don't understand what's going on in church. Why don't you submit and finally go to the things that the people watching over your souls are trying to help you grow in? What about your heart? What about your stuff? What about your talents, your time, your treasure? All the different compartments of our lives. What would it look like if all of it, if we just said, I got one job, is submit to God in his way. What if I decided to live life on God's terms instead of demanding mine? It's a game changer. And it looks like this. And it's awkward. And it's hard, but it's yielding. That's what we're called to do, who we're called to be. We're going to have a closing song. And uh, I'm going to ask you, like we did on Christmas Eve, to just sit and listen. Just reflect. Let God speak to your heart, both campuses. Would you bow your heads with me, though? As they come. 
while they're singing, if there's business you need to do, God hears your prayer. If there's commitments you need to make, I suggest you make them sooner rather than later while there's time. If you're not a Christian, you can submit your life to God and become one in these moments. If you are a Christian and you've been living life on your terms instead of his terms, we're gonna keep calling over and over and over until we wear somebody out. That life on his terms is the only way to have joy. Lord Jesus, thank you for your model, for your example. Father God, thank you for your son that you sent to give us that example and for the love that drove that. Thank you for your sovereignty and for your providence that brought us to this moment so we could hear a very human message. But help us not to miss an opportunity to give more of ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, would you break our hearts so we would accept life on your terms. Submit our wills to your way. And it's in Christ's name we pray, the Son of God. It's in his name, Jesus. Amen.